Hey everybody, it's time once again for Starship Podcast Warlock. My name is Drew. My name is Jeff. And we are here to talk about Blackadder. That's right, it's season two of Starship Podcast Warlock, which means we're going to be watching every episode of Blackadder that we can get our hands on in order, uh, commenting on them, or, you know, more frequently just kind of laughing at the parts you're going to laugh at, um, and trying not to talk over the jokes. But we'll also be talking about things before and after the episode. Things we talk about that's after the episode. Yeah. Things, I mean, I've, that's why I, anyway. Uh, yeah. The things after the episode we'll be talking about are the episode. The things we'll talk about before are some things about the episode. So, <gasps> shocking. <laughs> tonight, uh, or today, depending on when you're listening to this, uh, we're going to be talking about Miranda Richardson, who plays Queenie, or Queen Elizabeth. Um, she is sort of, I was thinking about this, she's she's kind of the Brian Blessed of this series in that she's a, you know, fairly prominent uh, figure in British TV and movies. Um, I, I well, think she, she was at this point. Yes. And and she's the, the reigning monarch of England. So uh, she is the equivalent there. And also very outspoken, uh, prone occasionally to loud speech. And... Uh, Interestingly haired, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, it, it's it's interesting to think that really there's only one season where the uh, where the the person in charge is not um, is not you know a mad yelling at the top of their their lungs uh, um, person that would pretend to potentially well not yelling at the top of her lungs. I, I was going to say that you know in terms of just st- I guess status compared to Blackadder. Um, mm-hmm. I was going to say, really, the third season is the one that's the aberration in that case, because uh, in, a, in a comedic sense, Blackadder is higher status than um, than uh, than uh, the Prince Regent is in many ways. Yep. But that's kind of the only season in which that's the case. I thought you were going to say uh, the only season in which it's not a member of royalty, which is also true. That Well, because well, there's the Prince Regent, the Queen, the King, in yes. reverse well, order. and then... And then it's a general in the fourth one. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, But I was saying the general, the general at least is, uh, is still high status over him as opposed to, uh, as opposed to the Prince Regent. So yeah, there's something different about each of the third and fourth seasons as opposed to the formula for the first two. That's Mm -hmm. that's interesting. Anyway, we're talking about the second season, so uh, I, I shouldn't get ahead of myself. All right. Well, uh, talking of the second season and of Miranda Richardson in particular, we are going to do our uh, time-honored presentation of the extensive research that Jeff and I have both done. Uh, In other words, we have called up her Wikipedia page, and we're about to just kind of skim through it and talk about the things we recognize. Was this the first thing you ever saw her in? I know for sure it was the first thing I ever saw her in. I've been trying to remember because it was either this or The Crying Game, and I kind of think it was The Crying Game. Yeah, I didn't see that till years later, so... Uh... I saw that when it came out, and we might as well talk about it since we brought it up. Um, <laughs> the funny thing with The Crying Game is I there may be people listening to this who don't know the the twist supposedly <clears throat> i definitely did not know it at the time i was a freshman in college and uh i was not familiar with things like uh the bar that they go to and again i want to be a little bit vague because i don't want to uh yep. spoil it for anyone um but i you know i don't know how it would be regarded today for that to be the the surprise twist um, even at the time, I felt like I, I was a little annoyed at Stephen Ray's character for the way he reacts to the twist. Hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, it was surprising to me then because the things that seemed very obvious to me now were not obvious to me at that time. Uh, so it was a big surprise. Miranda Richardson, of course, played the, um, I can't remember the name of the character now, but member of the Irish Republican Army. Um, Jude. Jude, that's right. Yeah, who you, uh, you can thank Wikipedia for that because I, I remember sadly very little about this <laughs> about the movie, except obviously the twist. Well, she she helps to capture um, Forrest Whitaker. That was the first thing I saw him in. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, really? First, yeah. First thing I saw him in, I think, was Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Oh, how interesting! I didn't even know he was in that because I still have not oh, seen yeah. that movie. Yeah, he was he was like the football jock basically. 
Yeah, how interesting. I'm going to have to check that out then. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, she, she helps... And Vietnam after that. Ah, okay. Uh, so she helps kidnap uh, Forrest Whitaker, who's a, a soldier, I guess a British soldier. And uh, she's kind of the villain of the piece. So my first impression of her is as a villain, huh. uh, is, is, is being, you know, very sinister. Yeah, so that was that was the first time I ever saw her in anything. And there's there's actually, as I look over her credits, there are a lot of things she's done that I haven't seen. Um, I've seen Sleepy Hollow, of course, uh, in which she is, again, a villain. Uh, I've, I have seen the hours, but I don't remember her from that. I don't even remember who she played. That's another, I don't remember the movie very well. She was in Chicken Run, and apparently yeah. there is a to-be-announced uh, date for the sequel. Um, and then she was also, of course, Rita Skeeter in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's uh, quite a few people that know her from that. Uh, mm-hmm. Apparently she was also in... Uh, uh, had a cameo role in Muppets Most Wanted, which I, I don't recall. But um, I, th- I think, you know, most of what I remember seeing her from probably is more from uh, TV shows. You know, obviously we've talked, obviously we'll be talking about Blackadder, not just this season, but that she makes um, she makes an appearance in, um, uh, in uh, the third season, an appearance in the fourth season, and mm-hmm. an appearance in the, in the Christmas special. A- and uh, in addition to her popping up again during... Christmas Carol, but that's a previous role. And she was in Abfab, which I forgot about. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was one of the things. As uh, yeah, Bettina. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I remember Bettina her now Max. that I see the name, but yeah, um, I, it's funny. I hadn't realized the first time I saw that 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 was her. Um, oh, that's it, funny. It's, uh, yeah, uh, I had forgotten, and this is scrolling down uh, a little bit further. That her the last thing that she has listed as uh, uh, under television is that she was Madame Tracy in the um, in the TV miniseries version of Good Omens. Oh, yeah. So it was she, she got to act against uh, Michael McKeon for, for most of that. Well, um, it's it's funny, too, because this the very second thing that I saw her in was uh, The Line, The Cross, and The Curve, which is a short film that Kate Bush made uh, um, as, as kind of a long-form video piece so it you know it's kind of a video for a bunch of songs from that album the red shoes um and Mm -hmm. with a story kind of winding through it and miranda richardson appears as a woman who essentially convinces kate to take her red shoes and then kate can't stop dancing because that's what the red shoes do Mm -hmm. um so again she's kind of a villain in that uh somewhat sinister and has just one eyebrow which i'm not really sure why but that's the line of the cross and the curve. So that was that was pretty the crazy. Kahlo effect, I guess. Interesting. Mm, maybe I don't know. Um, she she has a Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actress for Fatherland, which I'm sorry I did not see. Um, she had several. Uh, she's had several nominations uh, for Golden Globe and and for BAFTA. Um, there was something else I was going to mention. Um, the cameo oh, uh, in the Muppet movie, the Muppets in, Most Wanted. Yeah, uh, in um, 1999, uh, apparently uh, for a TV film, she played uh, the Queen of Hearts uh, in Alice in Wonderland. And certainly one can imagine Queenie playing uh, the Queen of Hearts uh, um, very obviously. Um, I wonder if I've ever seen that. It's funny. I mean, you know, I remember thinking the two people that I would love to see play Queen of Hearts, both who who have, hers one of, uh, she is one of them. And the other one, of course... um, Despite how painful that movie was, um, <laughs> uh, Helena Bottom Carter and um, sure uh, in the, in the um, uh, Tim Burton. Uh, I mean, it, it wasn't her movie. fault. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Oh uh, uh, boy. Um, and I've seen multiple people cosplay her uh, her outfit and 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 hair and f- to fantastic effect. Um, oh my anyway, gosh! I, I digress. Yeah, I mean, just looking at the rest of these credits here, there's a lot that I I don't know. Uh, and have not seen, but that's okay. Now there's a lot of we have, Miranda we Richards have work to, to see. do. Yep. I mean, it's it's pandemic. We're stuck at home. I mean, <laughs> the, oh, I have to see her in Fred Claus. You know, I mean, uh, oh dear. 
well, so there's some interesting sort of teases here. Um, for example, it says she performed a triple role in the thriller Spider, which is a Cronenberg film that I somehow was not aware of. Hmm. Um, which sounds like it might be interesting. And then the other thing that jumped out at me when I was uh, skimming through our research file here um, was that, uh, where does it say this? She uh, she played a criminal, I guess, or at least a woman who was hanged as a criminal in Dance with a Stranger um, in 1985, around the time she was doing this. And then says after she did that, she turned down mm-hmm. numerous parts in which her character was unstable or disreputable, including the Glenn Close role in Fatal Attraction. Stop and imagine that movie with Miranda Richardson instead for a second. I, I could see it. Yeah. I could definitely see it. I mean, it's tough. I, I, I picture Glenn Close and, you know, and the rabbit, uh, you know, but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, but um, I, I could see her pulling it off. Um, yeah. Nonetheless, I, I think, I think that was a good call on her part to avoid. Um, yeah. Although she does definitely, I mean, as we've noted, she does play a lot of uh, sinister type characters. Uh, she's, she True. was Snow White's stepmother in a, in a film too, it looks like. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but I mean she's good at it. So there you go. But I also think she's extraordinary as Queenie in this. Oh, yeah. um, I mean um, I think you were talking maybe it was last time about how quickly she changes her sort of uh, personality in the throne room there from coquettish to uh, furious to uh, kind of plotting to kind of sad. Like, I mean, she's, she's very, I, I think Mercurio was the word that you used last time. Yes. She's a, she's in some ways a comedia character. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things that Commedia dell'arte is, is that, you know, there is no real inner monologue to the characters that literally, if they're happy or sad, they, they switch on a dime. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that that's, uh, and that's part of the comedy between it really. And, and part of the pacing as much as anything else. Um, and, uh, and that definitely works for her, especially for her being, you know, the one in charge here that, that, you know, with the mood change comes, uh, comes potentially a change of your fortunes, not to mention your life potentially. So, uh, I mean, there, there's a lot to be milked from that. And, um, I I had watched part of, uh, as I mentioned, there's some online documentaries on history of Blackadder and what have you. And, and. Uh, one bits where she was asked where she got the voice from and and um and i i don't want to take up much time on that but it's uh it's very interesting to hear how one conceives of these things the same way we we marveled before it well how did how did rowan atkinson come up with that weird character that he did <laughs> for the first for the first season i mean it's it's interesting to have um to understand where he where she uh got that particular um particular thing uh from wait sorry did you say where she got it from i didn't uh i, I didn't at all um and uh, and part of the reason for that is although i remember it being interesting my memory is failing me right now it's been a long <laughs> week. um I, I think it had something to do with in in a friend in school or whatever but oh, I, I, okay I forget but but she she definitely had a particular person she knew in mind for that and How drawing funny. from that particular experience interesting well now we have a reason to go back and watch that documentary again yeah uh did you like sleepy hollow <sighs> poor tim burton um <laughs> no i mean you know no not really um it's been a while since i've seen it but no I, I didn't i didn't care for it very much um i mean i agree for me uh what i often say is that halfway through that movie was the exact point where i stopped liking tim burton movies um, huh, because everything before that I loved, um, and then everything after that I pretty much hated. Um, so yeah, leading up to that, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, Beetlejuice, Batman, Batman Returns, Edward Scissorhands, Ed Wood, Mars Attacks, and the first oh, half of Sleepy Hollow I think are brilliant. Uh, after that you've got Planet of the Apes, Big Fish which is one of my top 10 least favorite movies. Well, I thought that was okay. I didn't, oh. have, that, I didn't have that problem with it. <laughs> I, I had a, I, I hated that movie. I could, <laughs> wow. I could go off on a rant, but I, I won't do it right now, but I, I okay. really, really disliked it. So, um, yeah, Charlie and the chocolate Charlie. factory. Uh, I, 
you've mentioned uh, Depp's performance in that, and I, I sort of enjoyed how that worked. But then again, I'm also not a huge fan of the the first movie that was made from it. His his so, choice. I mean, he yeah, he made the choice to basically play it like Michael Jackson, or or to, or to derive from it, and uh, and. All right, that, that's even creepier now than potentially it was at that time. But I mean, I can see in terms of the the you know um, boy who never grew up type of thing. I, I can see why you would potentially sit down and and on some intellectual level make that choice, and he committed to it fully. Mm-hmm. But I don't think I can ever watch that again without my skin crawling. <laughs> well, um, I think that was the intended effect. Um, and, and I do yeah. have a, I do have a very big soft spot for the original movie, even though, you know, I read the book as a kid and realize where it goes off the rails compared to the book. And, and Roald Dahl, I think didn't like the changes either, but I would actually argue that Gene Wilder was better than, than the Wonka character in the book and the changes mm. that they made actually, I feel like was, uh, was one of the few times where I'll say that that is actually a positive, uh, a positive change. Um, yeah, you know, and, and Tim Burton felt compelled to give uh, a backstory with uh, with you know Christopher Lee as uh, um, as his father, as his you know domineering dentist uh, dentist father. You know, sweets are bad for you type of thing. And and another bit of uh, like a lot of his movies where he has trouble. Um, he, he puts in a troubled father figure or something like mm-hmm. that. But yeah. Anyway, I, I, I didn't mean this to turn into the Tim Burton. Um, <laughs> well, Burton and, I, and I will I, finish I my rant like, about it. I do it, like a lot of, I do like a lot of stuff of his, despite that. Anyways, go ahead. I mean, we did mention the Alice in Wonderland before that. Um, yeah. You mentioned, and Corpse. then Corpse Bride, ugh. A, you know, a movie that I thought would be, uh, you know, really terrific, but I just could not stand it. I think the only one, post sleepy hollow that i've that i would say i'd probably want to watch again would be the sweeney todd adaptation. oh my god I, I was not expecting that's what you were saying. <laughs> really? i really hated hated hated, <laughs> hated 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 could i say hated i don't I know hated. did you like it yes i hated it so well, much it came around to like tell no. me tell me what you didn't like about sweeney todd and i'll tell you what i didn't like about big fish um what did i like about sweeney todd I, <laughs> i'm not sure there's anything that i can come up with on that i mean you know it's tough the the thing about you know on again on paper helena bonham carter should be a good mrs lovett but i i just yeah i no there was there was absolutely nothing that that and okay forget about whether they used the music or, or whatever it doesn't matter it just didn't work on fundamentally any level for me i i don't know how to how to, how to express <laughs> that even further. See, I, I was going to say, if there's one... Uh, I, I am curious to hear your, your Big Fish comment, but I will say, if there was one movie afterwards that I kind of liked, it was uh, it was Dark Shadows. And, I, and I, I mean, it's not like, oh my God, that was amazing or whatever, but I, 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 hadn't, I was entertained enough by that movie. Yeah, well, I will admit that after Alice in Wonderland, I did not bother to see any of the remaining ones except for uh, I've seen a little bit of dark shadows enough to know that I'm not going to like rush to see the rest of it. Um, but we went to the, the cinema, the cinema, I don't know why I call it that the theater, how cinema. pretentious uh, to see big eyes. Um, and I wanted to leave halfway through. That was such an unpleasant, obnoxious movie. I just, ugh, I thought it was terrible. Um, so, yeah, I really just have not liked a lot of his work. I am a little bit curious to see Miss Peregrine's, Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, uh, bits of which I saw in a doctor's office once, um, <laughs> uh, which looked like it might have been okay. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's I, I definitely approach him with trepidation these days. My thing with Big Fish, and then we'll get into the episode, yes. is... Um, what fish it's, it's been a while. So I don't know that this is a carefully crafted critical opinion, but my sense is that first of all, we were supposed to be enchanted by the, uh, this bad father who's all of whose kind of love and attention went to these tall tales that he would tell. Um, and like, I mean, just the flavor of Americana over the whole thing already kind of irritates me uh, because I, I really just hate that stuff. 
um, the whole circus thing and the, you know, all mm-hmm. the rest of it. Um, but then, I, you know, I just couldn't find a reason to not feel the way his son does feel about him. And oh, it, I, I, it just, it just, I do agree with that. I, I do agree. With and that. if they're all made up, first of all, they're boring stories. Um, <laughs> if they didn't really happen to him, then who cares? I, I mean, it just, it, it was such a sort of, it was the same. It was a riff on Burton's usual theme of like, you know, this troubled creative person who's not very good at relating to the world, but has these unique visions that should be, you know, celebrated well, and, that's, and carefully that's what cultivated. That's what he but, basically did for, that's what he basically did to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. uh, it's just a very, ugh, I just can't stand it. So, um, <laughs> but people love it and I probably wouldn't like bother to talk about it if people were also like, yeah, I didn't really care for it that much, but it just boggles my mind that people find this enchanting. Anyway, uh, before we trash someone else's favorite Tim Burton movie, let's get into the episode. Oh yes, let's do that. <laughs> are, are we watching? Are we watching Tim Burton movies? Is that what? Yeah, we're yeah. So we've switched everybody. I'm sorry for the bait and switch, but we are now going to oh be God, watching Tim Burton's Tim Burton's Blackadder. <laughs> uh, Dan, I can hear so... the Danny Elfman theme already. <laughs> well, think about it, especially Blackadder One, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he has this. This he he's this special little little prince that has a bad relationship with his domineering father <laughs> yep yep it works okay all right i and I, and dresses all in black yeah yeah oh my god oh my god i think we've got something here well i'll, I'll call up tim tomorrow and just let him know okay, like there's a you, chance for you to get get back my love by doing a good job on a black hatter movie I, I have to admit i was worried about the fact that we went on this tim burton tangent when we were supposed to be talking about Miranda Richardson for a while, but this makes it all worthwhile. <laughs> it does, doesn't it? Uh, maybe so, not for our listener, singular, <laughs> but um, but for us, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, sorry, Miranda Richardson, you're you're amazing, and we talked about all your stuff, so I had to go on my rant about stuff that I didn't like, but I, I thought she was good in that movie, Sleepy Hollow. It's just that the second half of the movie becomes this very generic kind of like... Uh, action fantasy sort of movie whereas the first half is this just amazing like legitimately scary sort of like uh Mm -hmm. sinister new england landscape you know it's uh it's really beautiful and then it turns into this generic movie which is exactly what happened with everything else he did so all right Let's get on with it. Uh, we're going to be watching Head today, which is the second episode of the second season of Blackadder. Uh, by now, you know the drill. We're going to say three, two, one, play. We'll all hit play at the same time, starting from zero, zero. And uh, we'll watch this together. Uh, so, Jeff, are you ready? I am. I am getting ready right now. I'm going to zero, zero. And I'm ready to hit play. Folks at home, are you ready? Cool. Here we go. Three, two, one, play. I love the little squeak. I know. I just I just, <laughs> just heard that. Pulled back. Oh, that poor snake. It's hard to watch this now. No snakes were abused during the portion of the... You lie! (laughs) I wonder whose model they used for the head. Black adding. (laughs) He's being very polite and calm at this point. This is the model for Bean Dad. Ouch. Six hours. I love the fact he's basically talking like like a uh, father, almost. Yeah.
one of my favorite lines in the whole show. I know. And he's still got the beard. <laughs> trying to remember, does he have the beard through the entire episode? If so, that hints that this should have been first. Ooh, interesting. Keep an eye on the beard. Defer, defer. <laughs> That's what I thought of, too. Like I said, it's kind of the same setup as the Archbishop. Yep. <laughs> That's also an interesting uh, comp comment considering the third episode. <laughs> of course. Ha, ha, ha. 
No, do Michael. <laughs> That's a good joke, too. It's mm -hmm. a Ben Elton joke. Or maybe not. It's interesting, I meant to mention this, but pay attention. Uh, Ro Rowan Atkinson is very good at the plosives and mm -hmm. emphasizing them. That's one thing I'm fascinated, fascinated. <laughs> She's a great nurse. Um, considering the original context of that line.
her cry. <laughs> Baldrick's hair is actually very well kept right now. <laughs> More than a yard taller.
Her crying is not even remotely <laughs> believable. It's so funny, though. <laughs> Thought it was fairly clever. And she won't recognize the fact that it's wearing Blackadder's clothing. Right. <laughs> Notice the plosives. <laughs> I wonder if you could have gotten that away with that in American television in the mid 80s. Yeah. I think you're right. I think this was supposed to come before Bells because he said never.
Nursy. Shoulder braid. <laughs> I think the head looked like Tom Baker a little bit. <laughs> it's the bulging eyes. Maybe all heads look like Tom Baker. God. Hmm. This says his great grandfather was a, a king for 30 seconds. Rowan Atkinson? Well, the song said that. Yeah. Which, su <laughs> which suggests that he actually is descended from Edmund from season one. Yeah, I'm not sure I want to think about that. I don't really what either. What that implies. Uh, in terms of, in terms of uh, who uh, you know, the, the ultimate uh, grandmother would be under. Again, I'm just assuming slash hoping there are bastards involved. Yeah. But I'm trying to remember how implied it was that he had actually been with a woman otherwise. Right? Yeah. I. Mm. But, Speaking you know of which... Um, so in this one, he acts as like, it sounds like he's going to tell Baldrick he's never, um, 
gotten head before. Um, mm-hmm. Which does imply that maybe this comes before Bells. Well, plus uh, Percy's beard is kind of a uh, mm-hmm. is kind of a giveaway to this one. I, I I can't help thinking that they saw the two and they figured that uh, that Bell's was a stronger opening and and you know although even if it aired that way, I I'm curious whether or not they would keep it that way for the DVD release. Um, but I mean, you know, and to which I, I guess it's not spoiling too much to say I did like this episode. I liked it better than I remembered actually. Same. Um, uh, but it's, uh, um, I, I still prefer bells over this, like I said, but, uh, yeah, I, I was, I was pleasantly surprised by this one. Yeah. This was actually a lot of fun. Um, the, I mean the whole, <laughs> so my recollections of this episode were, uh, the whole rigmarole of trying to pretend to be a dead man. And then, um, the whole gross green head thing and like, you know, uh, it was not an episode where I was like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to watch that again. But hmm. I, I think this one's very witty. Um, it's got the whole weird thing of him teaching Baldrick. Um, it's got the um, just the kind of dramatic situation that they're in, I think, is is pretty tight. Um, yeah. I mean, Lady Pharaoh is a little too over the top. Right? Uh, <laughs> like. I mean, uh, just that uh, her acting, I mean, I mean, for some reason, you figured, well, for Brian Blessed, that's no big deal. But I guess it's OK for shouting. But like it was it, it, it wasn't even, you know, I mean, there's play crying. And then there's the that 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 was the one bit where it didn't work. Otherwise, I thought that she was fine in, in terms of that. But that one bit just kind of got to me a little bit. <laughs> well, I, I enjoy it. I think it's very funny, the kind of over the top thing she's doing. And I think it also helps to keep it comedic because if you think about her playing it very realistic, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot harder to watch if it's like, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, but there's other ways that you could do bursting out crying that, that, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it it wasn't, it was more like she was playing it crying than, you know, if you see somebody acting and you know, they're acting, then, Mm -hmm. uh, then that, that's why that didn't quite, uh, work for me. I'm trying to think who I can think of that would burst out Oddly enough, as opposed to, and this is going to seem weird because you're like, well, of course she's she's doing it for comedic purposes. You know, Lucille Ball's little wah. For some reason, uh-huh. that's more realistic to me, um, and, and I, I, not more realistic, but to, but it 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 seems more like her character and not and not faking. Yeah, I mean, I, I, again though, I I think that the faking is part of keeping this in the mm-hmm. the realm of comedy as opposed to like playing it naturalistically and, and crying for real about her dead husband, you know? I mean, I, I didn't want to go on long about this to me. That's, it's not like, Oh my God, that was horrible. It was like mm-hmm. a little, that's a little nit. No, I, I totally see your point of view there. I, that's just my take on it. Um, let's see. We also had, I, I think a bit more of Queenie in this, uh, in a way than last time around, which mm-hmm. was fun. Um, uh, and you already pointed out the similarity to the archbishop in, in structure. Yep. Um, I, I think I pointed out, and this is not necessarily this episode, but it's something that really struck me while, while watching little bits and, and things of what he was saying, that I very much uh, love part of Rowan Atkinson's delivery is the fact that he has such great timing you know, uh, of when uh, when Percy is telling him the plan and uh, and he's like, you know, this is horrible, horrible, horrible and uh, worth a try. Like, I mean, you know, the perfect timing with things like that. Mm-hmm. But also, as I think I pointed out from, um, uh, if you hear him, how he does his plosives and, and, you know, ploppy or big or whatever and how he's using it for emphasis, particularly at the end of uh, sentences and stuff like that, he, there is so much about his delivery that is utterly fascinating. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, and that's not, something you would really have as much through Blackadder 1 by comparison, I suppose. But, um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's part of it, his delivery and little things like that mean a lot. It's funny. I think of that in terms of as much as when I, you know, when I'm singing and think about certain things that you need to emphasize when you're, when you're singing or whatever, it's, it's similar that just that there's certain choices that he makes in terms of how he emphasizes things that just make the character. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that the timing and the uh, just the cadence of everything that he's doing is so brilliant, uh, and it's it's fun to watch here in a, a way that I think is um, 
again, very different from season one. Like, I mean, his voice was a little hard to take in that. And in this one, he, he has these very kind of suave tones. Um, and, you know, clearly he is at least somewhat more attractive to women in this uh, and, and is much more of a kind of uh, uh, would be womanizer at, at least than his his predecessor there. Um, so like hearing him use that part of his register, I think is very satisfying in this, uh, in this oh, series. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting hearing him play around certainly with, uh, with imitating Lord Farrow and then dropping his voice even, even more. <laughs> yes. like, I mean, you know, it, you realize he's, he's got quite a, quite a range for talking clearly. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I don't remember if I read it or if it was in one of those documentaries that we've been watching or, um, or what it was, I thought I, I read or heard that the plosive thing uh, was something that he did to avoid a stutter, which it seems yeah. like maybe he started out with. Um, so, yeah, but it, regardless of where it comes from, I think you're right about how effectively it, it helps to uh, uh, sell his, his jokes. You know... Um this is a little bit uh, risque, but uh, um, when Baldra came in, um, and uh, I find it amusing that um, Blackadder was interrupted by possibly getting the title of this episode. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what a double meeting. Uh-huh. Never stated, but uh, just, just throwing that out there. I mean, it's, it's a, a double meaning worthy of Shakespeare. Yes, it's true. It's funny. I was thinking during the uh, the Master Ploppy and, and uh, Mistress Ploppy bits of joking about, um, I, I was going to throw something in about, oh, how, how Shakespearean, um, <laughs> you know, uh, Sha- Shakespeare understood the, uh, uh, a good, uh, you know, dick and fart joke and, uh, um, you know, he had his low characters, but I, I would say probably, of course, that the, um, uh, the wordplay was a little more clever than this <laughs> <laughs> maybe i don't know yeah. um i i commented during the episode that like one of the political jokes uh sounded like uh ben elton but i i also remember again this could have been read or heard that um if you try to predict which jokes are ben elton's and which are richard curtis's uh you're always wrong or, or something like Richard Curtis yeah, went back was... through the script trying to remember and they were always wrong or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated. That, that's something that uh I've I've heard other comedians say as well for for their works. Um although like for Pythons, I know it was the case where they had um uh where like, you know Chapman or, or Cleese Cleese had one style of joke and, and like, you know, Eric Idle would have a, a a different style of joke. One of them would be much more uh, into strict wordplay, and the mm-hmm. other one would be more more surreal type things. And as they went on writing, because uh, they, they had their particular partners that they tended to usually write with, based on you know the, the Cambridge folks and the and the uh, the Oxford folks, um, uh, it, it's kind of how it it naturally worked out. And they'd worked with each other before that. And at some point, they started trading off, like they started picking up each other's style and trying to do the other one's type of style. So, I mean, uh, Curtis and Elton had just started writing together for this, and I, I don't think they had before that, but I'd be curious, you know, is it just because, you know, at some point they started picking up each other's style? I guess it's too early for that um, in their in their history, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's the subject matter as much as the style in this case, um, but maybe they both just happen to be concerned with that same thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Let's see what else in this one. A little bit more nursey, uh, which is fairly funny. Um, um, you you want to hear an interesting little tidbit? I, I actually looked up. Um, I was curious about the other guest actors in this one, and uh, Mister uh, Mister Ploppy, uh, uh, Bill Wallace, William Wallace, uh, died in two thousand thirteen, um, and. Uh, in the first episode of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy in 1978, originating the roles of Mr. Prosser and Prosthetic Vogon Jeltz. Oh, wow. He, rep- he reprised the latter in the second episode and in one episode of the second series. However, due to unavailability, the roles of Jeltz and briefly Prosser were taken over by Toby Longworth. Huh. So. I would uh, not have recognized that correspondence. Well, well I mean, think of, 
think of how much that they they make his voice. Um, you know, they have a vocoder or something like that. But but now that I think of it, and you know, take away a bit of the accent, and um, I, I can hear it now. Mm. I well, can, I can definitely hear it now. I think part of the reason that I wouldn't have made that connection is he looks awfully short in this episode and in uh, Hitchhikers, you can't really tell because Arthur is lying down next to him. <laughs> well, so you I'm can't really tell the, how tall he is. I mean, I was referring to the radio series. Oh, in the radio series. Oh, <laughs> I, I okay. So. That makes more sense so. now. I was like, they says, don't look anything alike. <laughs> no, because it says 78 and... and uh, uh, it says seventy eight, and it mentions the second series, so that's that's definitely the uh, okay, okay. You know the TV show. I, I think that the the TV show was was like nineteen eighty one, and and seventy eight was the original radio series. So yeah, yeah, um, that makes more sense now. Okay, I was mm-hmm. like, hmm. Well, I don't know. Faces are tough. Yeah, yeah, but it's the voice. It's it's the voice. You you have to imagine it shoved through a vocoder and and um, and debrogued, I guess. But um, but he was Prosser yeah. as well. Yes. Okay. That seems a, a very reasonable, I think. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to have to go back and listen to that now. Mm-hmm. Um, what else do we have to say about this one? Uh, just as I said, pleasantly surprised by... I, I mean, again, the second season is, uh, is gold no matter how you, how you mm-hmm. look at it anyway. Um, uh, so the fact that this one usually rates on the, on the lower end of that is... Uh, uh, and, and in fact, I, I mean that even more. So I've said that about uh, about the young ones as well. But uh, but I have to say that uh, that for Blackadder two, that's that's even more so. I mean, I have the mm-hmm. young ones episodes that I'm like, okay, that's that's good or whatever. But no, for th- for this one, if this had been the only episode of two that existed, I would be happy watching this uh, plenty of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is quite good. Uh, I think ranking these are going to be pretty difficult but i guess we'll find out um i truly do not remember what like three of them are there's only one more that i remember what it is and what it's about so this is going to be fascinating wait of, of this of, of this, this series yeah yeah i don't know why i think as soon as i see it i'll remember what it is but right now just trying to like list it off in my head i, I have no recollection so wow that's surprising you know there's there's only one of them that I don't recall as well, and I still remember the plots on it on it pretty well, regardless. Um, especially considering who the who the star is on that one, which I didn't realize till later. But I'll save that till we get to that one. All right. Um, yeah. So, cool. Uh, um, well, I guess that's it then for Head, uh, the second episode of Blackadder. Uh, as you know, you can reach us at Starship Warlock on Twitter. Uh, or info at starshippodcastwarlock.com or inbox. I don't know. Use the Twitter. Don't email us. Um, but do do tweet at us because we'd really like to hear your thoughts. Um, even if you have critical thoughts, we'd like to know how we can serve you better, uh, which reminds me, I really enjoy <laughs> Edmund's speech to his various employees um, and his honesty. Uh Anyway, yeah, we'd really like to hear from you. Uh, you can review us, too. I know that in some podcasts, people are like, hey, go review us on a thing. I, you know, uh, if you want to do that, that's that's awesome. Re- you know, that would be much appreciated. But you don't have to go to that trouble. We just want to hear from you and know that you're enjoying it or figure out what we can do uh, better. We won't do it better. We just want to know what it is. So... Uh, uh- Oh, sorry. I uh, were like you I have chimed in there? Were you no, planning I to had, comment? I, I had absolutely nothing to say on there. Uh, can I say <laughs> this is the last time that I shall appear on this episode? No, um, there isn't time. Uh, mm, but uh, <laughs> I was going to say, as far as yeah, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually probably read my email more than the Twitters. So uh, oh, I see. So, yeah. So send email. Send either way would be fine. Uh, oh, that way. That reminds me of one more thing, uh, mm-hmm. which I tweeted about, but I will say it here as well. I have a slight correction to make uh, in last time's episode uh bells i uh i said that the uh the character in blake seven in the episode the web which is the only one that she's ever seen uh my girlfriend identified a character as fetus man uh and i uh erroneously remembered that as being the same kind of puppet that they used in colony in space on doctor who it was not in fact that puppet it looks about a thousand times worse. 
Um, <laughs> uh, that is not Fetus Man. Uh, Fetus Man is his own horrifying entity. Uh, and looking at it again, I can really see why she was traumatized by that by that special effect. It really is ghastly. So, Fetus Man, Fetus Man <laughs> does whatever a fetus can. Which isn't much. And on that note, everyone, mm-hmm. uh, we are going to be signing off uh, from Starship Podcast Warlock this time around. My name is Drew. My name is Jeff. And this has been Starship, Starship Podcast, Podcast Warlock. Warlock. Bye, everybody. Bye.